Hey everybody, this is Sean McVeigh and welcome to the Vet Med Mind. What is the Vet Med Mind? It's a podcast that we're doing here at Veterinary Growth Partners, celebrating success stories in veterinary medicine. I'm joined by Rachel Tashberg. You've certainly heard her speak or lecture at some of our conferences. So together and with other guests, we're going to explore in veterinary medicine, both current, past, and maybe even future uh, success stories. So welcome everybody to another episode of the Vet Med Mind. I'm Sean McVeigh and uh, Rachel is here with us as well. She's playing, um, uh, what do you call it, producer today uh, in the background, making sure that all the uh, audio and uh, equipment is working and that we can all hear one another. Uh, as you know, the Vet Med Mind was created so that we could talk to entrepreneurs who have success stories in veterinary medicine. Uh, if you've heard me speak in lecture, you know that I talk about conflict. I talk about lack of emotional intelligence. And oftentimes the picture that can be painted is that veterinary medicine is in a critically bad state. Well, there some of that can be true, but also there's lots of success stories. And so we thought with the vet men mind, we would focus more on individuals in veterinary medicine that have taken a unique path and or a unique process to creating whatever they call success in veterinary medicine. Uh, we don't, success is not defined as making a lot of money. Success is not defined as um, healing a lot of pets, although I would call both of those things successful. Success is defined as our guests define success in veterinary medicine. And the hope is that you, the listener, will expand your own mindset a little bit and not get stuck in the four walls of your practice practice and think that there's only a certain way out or there's only a, way, a certain way to do things. There's lots of ways to do things in veterinary medicine and hopefully they're creative, fun ways. Um, so our guest uh, today is um, Dr. Mike, or excuse me, not Dr. Michael Shirley, married to a doctor, and he'll tell you about that. Uh, Michael Shirley, and I love this title. He's the Chief Empowerment Officer of Family Pet Healthcare in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. So welcome, Mike Shirley. How are you? I'm doing great, Sean, and thanks for having me on and for all the veterinary leader listeners out there. Welcome. Hopefully we'll provide some value for you today. Yeah. So uh, in a nutshell, tell us about your life work, kind of an overview and uh, why you feel like it's successful, like why it's working for you. And we'll get into specifics, but if you were going to kind of sell me an elevator story of, of what happens in your hospital in your career, that's so amazing. Maybe I'd fill us in. Well, I would if 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 we just met on the street and you said, "What do you do for a living?" I would say, "You know how the veterinary office when you take your pet to the vet office, it can be super stressful for you and the pet." And you would probably say, "Yeah, I can't ever get my cat in the carrier and all that." I said, "Well, my job is to create an environment for people and pets that's less stressful." And um and so we 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 take care of pets in a stress-free, hopefully, uh, a fear-free environment. And so um Hopefully that would lead to more questions and you would say, are you a doctor? I would say, no, I'm smarter than a doctor. I married one instead. So, <laughs> but um, I, I wanted to be a veterinarian starting in, in 4-H in the fourth grade when I came home from school and told my mom I wanted to do all the animal projects that 4-H had brought to our school. Cool. And she looked at me and said, Michael, we we live in a neighborhood in the city. You can't do that. You can't um, have chickens and goats. That's and right. Yeah. So <laughs> we did live next to a horse farm. And so that led to me getting a horse um, and started in horses. It also led to me starting a job at our family's grocery store when I was 11 years old. So my mom said, you can get a horse, but you have to pay for it. And so I started bagging groceries at 11 
and I've been working ever since. Um, but, uh, where is that? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Okay. It's where we live now, and it's where Family Pet Health, our veterinary hospital, is. Um, uh-huh. It's also where I went to college at Middle Tennessee State University, and that's Amazing. where you're a lifer. I'm a lifer. Um, that is where I met my wife. I worked at. I started job shadowing at a local vet hospital when I was in middle school. Okay. The day I turned 18, I started working for Dr. Harris. Um, that is where I was in the treatment area. I know exactly where I was standing. Uh, the first time I saw my wife, she came around the corner with one of our clients, um, who was trying to introduce her to Dr. Harris for a job. And, uh, she said, this is Amy. She wants to be a veterinarian one day. And I was like, oh yes, definitely hire her. <laughs> so, so, um, but, uh, my, my father, yeah, my father uh, slipped at our grocery store and, and ruptured a disc in his back. So I had to go back to the family business. And Dr. Harris hired Amy, Dr. Shirley, to replace me. So he upgraded. Was she, she was going to be a nurse or an animal caretaker, or what was she doing? Yeah, she, oh. she, yeah, came in as just a veterinary assistant. Yep, so, the same age. You guys are the same age. Yep, same age. Yep, we're exactly the same age. Um, I think I'm but a did month you go older. To a different high school? How did you not know she, her then? Yeah, so she she's from a different town, about an hour away from me. So even and we were both in 4-H uh, at the same time with horses. So we just ne- our paths never crossed. We 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 were in two different uh, disciplines. I did hunter, you know, hunter jumper, uh, and she was in spotted saddle horses. So at any rate, we, our paths never really crossed until that, that day at the, at the Dr. Harris's office. Um, we had classes together at MTSU and, and we had one class together. She made an A, I made a C and that's why she's a veterinarian and I'm not. <laughs> so um, <laughs> True she's story. A, how yes. has, cause I get this question all the time as a consultant, yep. um, you know, I work with my spouse. <laughs> so, you know, how, can you talk a little bit about what that's been like? I don't want to make it the topic of the podcast, but how have you made that mm-hmm. successful? Because I know a little bit about your practice and I know that it works. And so, but I also know that it can go really wrong. So what have you guys done proactively, if you will, besides the fact that you actually like one another and you enjoy each other's company, which is huge because I tell that to couples all the time. You can be married to somebody, even be in relationship with them that you are committed to but maybe don't actually like that person or you need a break from them. Sometimes you're like, I'll be honest. That's how my relationship works. If I had to work 24 seven with Ryan, we are not the kind of couple that could do that. I have to have a break. And so, but you guys make it work. How do how do you make it work? I've heard you talk about your, your, uh, how different you and your husband are from one another. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would say, I'll see you that difference and raise you a little extra. And that's how different my wife and I are are from one another. Uh The way that we make that work is, um, lots of communication, lots and lots of communication. I I would consider, I wrote down my successes because I knew the the podcast is based on successes. Mm -hmm. And the number one, one that I have on here is successfully working with my spouse. Um, I am not a veterinarian. I don't tell her how to operate business, uh, the, uh, the business of providing care. What we, what I talk about, what my role is, is, is all about team building. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my career was in education. I'm a school teacher by training. Mm-hmm. And so when she, when she told me that she wanted to open her own hospital, I asked her why. And she said, I want to create the type of work environment where I want to go to work every day and surround myself with people that I want to work with every day. Uh, so she already had a vision. Now, yeah. Yeah. And I said, now that I can help you with mm-hmm. because that's team building and that's what I do. That's cool. Um, and so I've transitioned from this high school classroom to the veterinary office and 
I just, the, the lessons that I worked with my students, I now do that with our team. And so that's my role and marketing and, and all the, all that business side of things. And she's providing the care and that's allowed us to grow in 2018. It was her and three employees. And now we have three doc, three full-time doctors, one part-time doctor and 16 employees. And we're hiring right now. If anybody's out there is listening. Uh, please, um, and once, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they can go to familypethealth.com and check us out. <laughs> so we're, we're building a new hospital right now. Are there any bonuses, sign on bonuses or moving fees? You get to work with us. Okay, that's there you the, go. That's there all you the go. bonus you need. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, high function, you know, I worked with our FFA and 4-H members. So in, in the high school classroom, that that student organization is is FFA. And I I worked every single year building a, a high functioning officer team who then provided leadership for our school and, and trying to accomplish all the goals that they had in one year, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, I do the same thing with our office and that's, mm-hmm. that's really worked well for us. Now, how my wife and I are so different and still make it work. Um, it's not always sunshine and rainbows, but we, we are very mindful that her vision of creating a work environment where she wanted to go to work every day, nobody on our team wants to see us fighting. Like that's not a fun work environment. And so we talk about that. Um, our, our team is high functioning. We communicate well with one another with, with, um, our happy days and our sad days. Tell me more about that. How, and for our listeners, because, you know, we could talk inside speak and kind of, you know, I know some of the path and, but how much effort did it take? And I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I want our listeners to hear this because I, I think too often we put, effort into the delivery of medicine and or being kind and nice to people and creating an environment where we're family and we love one another. But I don't know how much effort we put into communicating and and how we make our practice a communicative practice. So you described it as high functioning and we communicate during bad times and low times. So how did you achieve that? And I'm going to make the assumption that it was a concerted effort. The, the the communication started a year and a half before we even owned a veterinary hospital. When, like I told you, my wife, at first she didn't know, she just knew she wanted to start her own practice. And so, but that led to the discussions of the why and the vision. So we sat down before we knew all of these things that we know now, like through pathway planning and mm-hmm. stuff. When we first met with our, our VGP pathway coach, they were asking us questions. We already had the answers to it. We're like, yeah, we do have a vision already. And they're like, you're so far ahead of the game. Yeah. We're like, yeah. <laughs> um, but you learned that leadership stuff, right? You, you, yeah, your so, own right. The smart goals and the, and the, the, in, in FFA, we call it the plan of activities, the POA every school year, we sat down with that office mm-hmm. team. What are we going to do this year? We can't do it all. So what are we going to focus on? And then uh, listeners, what are we going to, we, we broke that down into steps so that we were like, what do we have to do now to accomplish that thing six months from now? What I want you to hear listeners about what Mike says and almost every guest that we have on here, uh, their education was not complete just from veterinary medicine and veterinary exposure. If you're going to, one of the main messages of success uh, is I think you have to get some outside help uh, because just the resources of a veterinary school and a technical college for nurses and even a placement agency for CSRs, if you will, you leaderships, leaders don't just happen, they're trained. <laughs> and so I think that, that that's the message is you brought a process as you saw a better way to run things. And you knew that there was a way to do things before you even came into the hospital. And Our, most people believe that because they know medicine, they know how to run things. 
And it, it's really a completely different deal. Yeah, our our second biggest success, I would say, that's made everything else possible. I could tell about some others, but that we've been able to recruit and retain a really great team. Is that the you leadership know, management team you talk about? Yes. Well, uh, just our whole entire team from from I, I don't like to say top to bottom, but all around right, right, yeah. from 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 every from every section of our hospital, we have really great people working in a in an environment that supports them. So I am not the dictator. Mm-hmm. Um, I I am just their coach, like like just like in the high school classroom. My my goal is to em- and you you meant you touched on my title. I made that up. Chief Empowerment Officer, the CEO, mm-hmm. is is that my role is to hire great people, equip them with the skills that they need to do their job, and then come alongside them and offer them support to help them realize what power they have to to make our whole practice successful and and just like really empower them to do that and be there when they mess up without jumping down their throats but to say hey i want you to come to me when you make mistakes not hide them from me because if if we're making mistakes that means we're trying and you just have to take that approach that's um, again, just like working with kids, you know, that they've never done that stuff before. This is their first time. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm pretty, pretty skilled in helping people realize that the mistakes that they've made are that we can use those for learning and not like, yeah, we need to acknowledge them. We might have to there might be some financial repercussions from the mistakes that we made, but it's not going to get you fired unless it's like, you know, terrible, terrible. Yeah. But so so we haven't, we haven't had that happen. You're talking about being a change catalyst, developing people, um, a, an environment of optimism rather than pessimism. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, so, you know, it's my passion. I, I love when people get turned on by the idea of emotional intelligence and and what that means in leadership. So I know that you actively participate in it, but can you speak to our listeners about were you just born with EQ or did you have to develop it? Or and how about the people in your practice? Uh, because when you, when I hear I say when I hear any practitioner say we have a high functioning team, I automatically assume that they are an emotionally intelligent team as well. So, so is that a, is that a part of your recipe for success? Absolutely. And so when we came to the um, pathway planning weekend, my wife and I came to the one in San Antonio last year and we did the EQ test. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really, really high. Yeah. And you were like, yeah. and so and I was in like, it's odd to me that not everybody's that way. I right? know. Um, and and so, but I think I when you ask him, was I born that way? No, but I did work in a family business. My, I watched my parents for my first eleven years of my my life. I watched my parents do that, mm-hmm. and then the day that I turned eleven and started working, I had to learn how to read people and and deal with complaints. And my dad, when I became a manager, would tell me things like, "Don't ask." the employees to do things that they haven't seen you do. You know, you are not to stay up in this. He told me, he goes, you are not to stay up in this office and just count the money. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to be out there working and hustling because our family depends on this place functioning well. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so it was just always a part of my life growing up. You, our team, I think I'm good at realizing people's potential and hiring for that. Mm-hmm. But it's really, really important that you um, set clear expectations during the interview process so that they know whether or not they want to be a part of that. Um, and so right. it's a that successful was, interview, right? When they say, I don't want to work here. 
Absolutely. That's Gosh, that saves problems. everybody time, right? <laughs> it saves you. them from being yes. miserable. It saves us from being miserable. Yes. The worst thing you can do is is hire the wrong person and then try to save them or fix them. So like, many people get discouraged man. when they go through hiring. Oh, that's not a good candidate. That's not a good candidate. That's not a good fit. And I'm like, well, good. Good that well, you look see at that. It as, yeah. Think of it as medicine, right? You know, there's a, you run tests and you, when clients get discouraged because they're like, oh, that you didn't solve it. You're like, yeah, but we ruled some things out. So now we can focus. And so that's what I'm doing. Like I'm ruling some people out from joining our team. And that is good. We we require everyone to read a book before they come in for a working interview. And it's called The Energy Bus. And it is a great book. It's super easy to read. It's really cheesy. And but it sets a clear expectation of what it's like to work at Family Pet Health. It, the n- rule number one is you are the driver of your own bus, meaning bad things happen to us. The veterinary office is a sucky place to work some days. You know, there is nothing super joyful about losing a pet on the table during surgery. But how we respond to that individually and as a team is up to us. And that's really important. And if so, if so, if I say, hey, Sean, I need you to read this book. Um, and you say, what an idiot. I'm not reading this book. These other people don't want me to read a book. They said I could start tomorrow. Right, well, then you don't belong on our team. And I just wrote all I, all it cost me was $12 to buy you a book, you know? Preach. And so, you know, so anyway, that's, no, that's no, one I, thing. I, I hear it yeah. and I applaud it. And I, I, you know, you're preaching to the choir here, but I, I right. yeah, no, I think it's fantastic that we said the only way a hospital, in my opinion, is really well managed is when the people can manage themselves. And, and, and we're measuring and encouraging and coaching, not having to get them to just get on the bus in the beginning. It's a, it, I, uh, there was nothing that my wife said about starting her own hospital that said, I want to create a job for myself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so we already had jobs. I was a very successful teacher. I love teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a great veterinarian mm-hmm. and but um, so, yes, we want to design and, and this is what I would say is our, our other real big success is that we have implemented the pathway planning where and, and that has helped our practice be successful and that it doesn't depend on any one person being there. Tell our listeners what that is, what pathway planning is, because not all of them are going to be VGP efficient. Yeah. So, so pathway planning, um, and, and, and you, you, you correct me and get me back on track if I get off here, but okay. it's based on the, the book traction by Gino Wickman. And, but then you've taken it and with, with author's permission, uh, and, and, veterinary medicineized it. <laughs> so it's all, it's, it's vet speak, but it's a way that you have clear accountability and not like when you say accountability, like I'm going to lord over everybody and hold them accountable. You didn't do this. It's that they're accountable to the team for certain responsibilities in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So every single person that's on our team knows what they're supposed to do, depending on what role they're in that day and who they go to when they're having problems. So I don't address every problem that happens every day. Um, my team addresses the problems that happen every day based on what seat they're in that day. Mm-hmm. And so usually the greatest thing in the world is when I find out about problems at the end of the day, Amen. when we're debriefing and they're like, yeah, we already took care of that. I'm like, Oh, yeah. okay, that's cool. Great. So I can yeah. function and do what I do. Um, and so that works great. So, so pathway planning is just where we received, uh, we have a coach. Jody is our coach. Mm-hmm. She does a great job mm-hmm. holding me accountable because I'm a big dreamer guy. I need, I need to know that I have a meeting with her coming up so mm-hmm. I could get all my stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but it's a it's a way but we do that at our office too and and so it's a way we have regular team meetings um 
our team meetings are better now that we're doing pathway planning than they were before. Mm -hmm. We've always done team meetings because I see a value in that. Um, but now our team meetings are super effective. Every single person on our team is working on a rock uh, at the at the moment. So they're all doing something. So we have 16 people. Most of them are working on two or three big projects for the quarter. And so our office is is getting things done so and they're great. getting things addressed and we're open communication and nobody's just sitting around because everybody's like, Oh, I got some downtime. I need to work on my, I need to log in and work on my, my goals for this quarter. And, um, and then we celebrate those goals together. We, we, we uh, help each other support things when we need help getting our things done, but it's made, it's made our office, much more efficient. And it has allowed us to position ourselves to we're building a brand new hospital right now. Mm -hmm. And so we you wouldn't have, have money been able left to, over to do it with. Yeah, correct. Right. We wouldn't have been able to do that. And actually, honestly, Sean, we don't generate enough money right now to pay for what we're building. And everybody goes, well, that sounds like a terrible business move. Well, the thing is, is that we've been squirreling away money for the past year mm -hmm. so that we could get through the construction yeah, process yeah. when we are actually in a building that's designed as a vet hospital. And instead of having, yeah. yes, we have, we have two exam rooms right now. We're building a hospital with 10 exam rooms and we're going to be able to utilize those because our team knows how to get stuff done. And it's because we are functioning well and and we have a clear vision and we have our expectations and that's what we hire based on and we promote based on it. And sometimes and we do our coaching, our, our driving tests. Right. And and then we we help people find other buses to ride. We pull our bus over and let somebody yeah. off if we need. To. Yeah. But that doesn't happen very often. You're right. And I, I folks, if you know, those of you listening again to us, uh, the oxymoronic part of this conversation is that we have this myth, I think, as employers and sometimes employees, that if you just leave employees alone and kind of, you know, let them be that they will produce. I would say to you, it's kind of like letting a child grow up without any structure or boundaries. They'll produce, but it might not be what you or society wants. Uh, so the the. The kicker here is that the more structure we can provide for employees and parameters that we can provide for them, the better functioning they are. What they don't want is to have their their personality their personality micromanaged and their and their spirit micromanaged. But they want process put in front of them. They want to know what's the four steps to do this and how long should it take me to do that and uh, how many of these do I have to do a day before you tell me that I'm successful? And then they start focusing on those things because in absence of those things, people they focus on one another and they focus on their feelings and they focus on all the things that humans focus on when we need to distract from we're insecure and don't know what's going on. So. I want you to hear that part of uh, their success is they put structure in place to set people up for success. And it does not mean that you're constricting their their individualized approach to practicing medicine. It's not um, constricting in any way. It I, I tell, we actually had this meeting um, last week, our all team meeting. We we um, talked about it. I said, we're working on all putting all our protocols together. And it's not to say this is the way it must be done every time. And you can't deviate from this because that's not fun. But 
the things that we do over and over again, like how to answer the phones, there's actually a protocol to that because we've proven that it works. And we want our clients to have the same experience, no matter what doctor they come in and see, no matter who their veterinary assistant is, no matter who answers the phone, no matter who their licensed technician is, they get the same experience. And we can, and then it saves the mental uh, capacity capacity for finding creative solutions to novel problems that that come into the hospital. Yes. That whole operation whack-a-mole thing of just putting out problems all day, it's exhausting. And then you don't have yeah. anything left over, as you just alluded to, for the stuff that really would be practice changing. You're just kind of treading water. Um, yeah. I, a lot of people are, I don't know if complaining is the right word, um, struggling. Oh, a lot of people, a lot of practices are struggling with hiring and retaining employees right now. And, uh, and not just practices. I look around, I'm in Austin, Texas, and I look around everywhere, restaurants, whatever. Um, you know, there are people available to work, but we are socioeconomically at a place right now of the vast majority of Americans, um, you know, even if they don't work, have some means of being taken care of, which is, you know, tribute to the success of our parents' generation, probably. But uh, what do you do? Because every I can't hire, I just hire somebody who breathes. I, you know, obviously you don't do that. So what do you do? How do you hire and fire? Or how do you hire and retain? And what do you do when you're short and you can't find somebody? So that's a great question. And I, I, I say what I'm about to say, knowing that it's going to sound very arrogant. And I hope that people don't, int- I'm not saying it that way. I want to share we aren't having that problem. Um, I actually received text message today from someone that I told him like, I'm not going to hire. I'm, I'm, I'm not hiring right now because I, I don't have, a, I, I physically don't have another parking spot available um, until we move. And she texted me today and she says, can we talk again? Like, I know you're not hiring, but I really want to make sure that I'm still in this cha- channel. So we have a waiting, uh, uh, we have people in waiting for when we're ready to hire, including doctors. and the reason I think that we have that is multiple multifaceted a, we are always recruiting. So we work with every vet school. Like I send out, um, Hey, to the VBMA groups and, and all those student organizations, I'm willing to talk. And if we're lucky, I can grab my wife and get her on camera too. You can ask her questions, Mm -hmm. but I talk to him about the things that I like talking about, like um, how to interview for your first job. What are, what are private practice owners looking for? What's it like? Um, So I answer those types of questions. So I'm trying to get in front of veterinary students. We work with, um, we host students regularly. Um, so we we almost always have a student in our building, a veterinary student in our building. They are not always all going, going to be coming back to Tennessee to work, but we're building that network out there. And so anytime I have a job opening, I have a big database and I say big, like 15 people, 15 veterinarians that have worked in our building and I can email them all and say, Hey, you may be happy. Totally cool. But do you know anybody that wants to come work at family? Ongoing effort to build a network of recruiting. Yep. We work with our veterinary technician schools in our state as well. We host those students. Um, And so, and then this is key. When you host them, you must train them. You must provide them a good experience. So our hat, we have a a licensed technician who loves training technician students and she does a great job because 
She has it written down. This is the plan for when you're here. This is what we're going to do. And and she assesses their what knowledge they come in with um, so that she can skip the things that they already know how to do and is pushing them to try new things. And she's right there beside them to give them support. And so they have a good experience and then they tell their friends. And so we have um, I have been told I haven't verified this, but that um, that we are the most requested place to do their um, training. And so uh, most of our students that do their first rotation with us, the technician students come back for their second. So that to me is very uh, reaffirming. So that's recruitment. And then on uh, as far as like getting people in the door. And then we also clearly articulate our vision whenever we're making social media posts. I do Facebook lives all the time, LinkedIn live, just walking through the new hospital, showing the excitement of You're what we star. have. <laughs> Superstar. Like, I don't mind to be on camera. So that helps. And somebody's out there listening going, uh, this sounds like so much work. It is a lot of work. Yeah, but um, look what you're doing. You don't have, and my wife doesn't have time to do it, right? Amen. So, this so is what a real manager hire. should be doing, people. Yes, <laughs> hire, yeah. hire good managers yeah. and let them do their job. That's yes. the other key to this yes. whole thing. Yes, there's a whole, pro- I mean, it's a profession. You know, you've heard me say this, but I say it to our listeners who haven't heard. The job requirements for being a veterinary hospital administrator or a manager should not be surviving the owner the longest. I mean, and it is a make things happen job. And the only way you can do that is if you leave the people that do the animal medicine Give them structure and let them do their job so that you can be out. You should not be managing the people on the ground, folks. <laughs> they should be doing a job and you're doing a job that supports them. And they get you and you get them. Uh, I love it. Um, you talked about um, boundaries and balance at work. Are those things you struggle with or uh, a lot of practices do? How do you manage that? Yeah, I I think I do never turn it off because it goes back to the whole like all our family's eggs are in this veterinary business basket. So that is hard to turn off. Um, so I have be I have I, we have two small children at home. I have another one that's that's just left the house to start his own life. And um, I think I realize now more than ever, like when I'm present with my family, I need to be present. And so turning the phones off and the LinkedIn alerts and the Facebook and Instagram and all that other stuff and the emails. So um, it's something that's a work in progress for me. And again, I told my wife, I actually wrote her a note the other day that said, please help me remember what's most important in our house. And, um, and so she doesn't mind to do that and it doesn't hurt my feelings. It's just a good reminder of, oh yeah, I need to do that. The work will be there tomorrow. Um, but that is something that I struggle with. Kind of like anything else. I mean, an exercise program or a food program or whatever, you you can't just make a commitment and then not talk about it again. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing commitment to that. How about with your employees? You know, a lot of, um, and I, Maybe you have, what do you do with the struggle of, oh, surgery and we're, we got to stay late or, uh, you know, uh, something big's happening, you got to come in early. Veterinary folks understand culturally that it's not a nine to five job, yet there tends to be a general lamentation of yuck when I have to work outside my hours. So is that something you guys deal with or have you? We haven't really, we haven't really dealt with that a whole lot. Um, we going back to the beginning, the vision, my wife's like, I'm done with call and I'm done with the emergencies and no more weekends. And I said, okay. And that's been really nice to recruit with. We also did away with boarding and grooming. We're a hospital, not a boarding operation. And so um, uh, all of those things have helped us. Um, Obviously, 
we we still have nights that we work late. My wife, I think she takes meticulous notes and she even talked about this yesterday. Um, she has trouble letting it go, like having somebody scribe for her and things. So, you know, trying to remember that, you know, I'm like, hey, if you're there until eight o'clock, that's your fault. <laughs> we need to figure out why, um, because everybody else has left. Um, so I think when we have to have people come in to cover somebody that's sick, uh, or stay late. We take volunteers, we talk through it. And we also um, are lucky in our town to have um, some emergency clinics. And so we say, no, we practice saying no, Um, we can't do that tonight. Um, But sometimes we say yes, because we can do it. So we just talk about it. We will, we'll take a timeout. Anybody on our team can call a timeout uh, when they're feeling like they're becoming an energy vampire or they're feeling stressed or, or, or if we're getting away from our core values of what our clients can expect when they come into our office, um, or if we're getting away from fear-free principles, anybody can call a timeout and that helps us all refocus. Mm-hmm. Is Dr. Shirley uh, the medical director of the hospital? She is not actually. She is not. Tell me, because what I wanted to get to is how because I'm making an assumption here, I could be wrong, but I bet that you utilize the medical director in your leadership team. Yes. Uh, and you use a medical director to assist with management. Uh, so how do you utilize a medical director? And I'm, it's a leading question because I think they're one of the most underutilized positions in veterinary medicine. We we give them five, ten, twenty thousand dollars to be in charge of every year, a drug log and make sure yeah. medical records are okay. Yeah, our, our medical director is not even in charge of our drug log. So um, um yeah, so, yeah. so how do you use a medical director? Because I'm it's a topic I'm kind of yeah. focusing on right so, now. So so um and and I don't I honestly don't know the words in the pathway planning because we've we've I've I've referenced attraction book so much. We have our, our visionary, which is me, the integrator, and then underneath that we have business admin, which is my wife. Dr. Shirley, who's always looking at our numbers. Uh, Steven is our customer success manager. Right. And then that's we have the our medical, the yep. medical process. Yep. Yeah. And then we have our medical director. So underneath the medical, that's Dr. Nunnery, who's been with us almost since day one. Uh, there's a funny story there. But anyway, so she likes that role. She wanted that role. And so what she does is she helps us with our process. Like her main rocks right now are things like how do we roll how do we effectively roll out our protocol changes so that everyone's on the same page so she's looking at those things and she oversees the technicians our licensed technicians that are overseeing uh urgent care surgery uh inpatient outpatient um and tech appointments and so we have people in charge of each of those areas and then underneath them in in the accountability chart uh they we have the the veterinary assistants and the technicians that are fulfilling those roles so dr nunnery is helping those people if they run into any problems in their areas she focuses on her things and then stephanie helps dr nunnery if dr nunnery is um, experiencing any roadblocks uh to to success as well our traction leadership team meets um, every other week and then our medical director has a medical team meeting every other week and our csrs are meeting every other week so everybody's working and they're all working to accomplish stuff. So Dr. Nunnery, our medical director, oversees the medical delivery of services. And then and I will I will mention to everybody because because they're like, holy crap, it that's taken a year. Like we are we have we committed, we rolled this out last March. We we sh- we uh shut down the office early on a Friday. I took every I don't do week- weekends, but we did require this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um we we took the entire team to an off-site 
meeting. We spent the night and it was amazing. And we had a lot of fun and Mm -hmm. we introduced this traction pathway planning concept to everyone. And I told them we are committing to this for two years, 100% committed to this for two years, and then we'll see how it goes. So if you don't want to do this, we went through the whole process. It took 10 hours. We went through the whole thing. And at the end of the weekend, I I passed out bus passes. And this is back to the energy bus book. Um, I passed out bus passes when everybody left. And so it was a ticket, a bus ticket. And I told them, I said, on Monday, you think about what we talked about this weekend. And on on Monday, when you come into the office, you are going to bring me your ticket. And you'll either have written on it refund or you just turn it into me. If you turn it in, that means you're committed to this with us for the next two years. And you know that this is the new expectations. And if you don't want to do this, you just write refund on it. And I'll give you a two week uh, severance package and we'll send you on your way to help you find the right bus for you. And everybody turned their ticket back in um, that, that went through that weekend. Feels good, huh? It does. It feels, I can't explain Sean, the weight that went off of my shoulders that weekend when I, when I was finally, and everybody knew it. I am not the integrator. I am not the guy I have. I'm the ideas guy. Mm -hmm. And, and that has worked. That's been the same in our marriage. My wife's in my marriage in the business. I'm the dreamer. And so I can get sidetracked very easily. And I don't, finish many things. So to have, (laughs) to have somebody like Stephanie that loves finishing things Mm -hmm. has been such a blessing for me because I can do things like this (laughs) and I don't get, it doesn't hurt my feelings when I come up with 10 ideas and they tell me that nine of them won't work. I'm like, all right, next week I'll come up with 10 more. And that's worked for our marriage too, but that took a while in the marriage. And so like, I remember one time we pat, we were on my way to my wife's grandparents' house and they were all asleep and we passed this old catfish farm. And I got to dreaming about how it would be to own a catfish farm. And, and then I was thinking about, and so when she woke up, I just told her all these ideas about owning a catfish farm and how I was going to do like father, son campouts there. And you could teach people how to fish and clean fish. And it, and and then we got to her grandparents' house. She stressed out about that for the whole weekend, thinking that I was going to own a catfish oh farm. And, like and so she finally said, yeah. "Yeah." And I said, I was, "So she finally told me that I was like, I was I was just dreaming. Like everybody was asleep, so I filled my brain up with this That's story. So and I do the same thing with our office. And so I learned that I stress people out when I shared too much." And so I quit sharing some of those things. Now I just share them all to Stephanie and she tells me whether they are good or not. I do the same thing with our personal lives with Brian. I I get all into, uh, oh, we could buy this or we could have a vacation home here or we could do this or let's start this other business. And he's like, we have so much going on. I'm like, I don't really mean it. I'm just... I don't know what ideas I'm inspired when I go somewhere (laughs) and and it makes me think of stuff. Who have been... Or are there mentors or, uh, you know, heroes, people that have shaped you in your life and your career that you want to mention to our audience? Well, I think the number one most impactful mentor in the vet space for us was Dr. Harris, that that doctor that I first mentioned. He actually performed my wife's and my wedding. And when we when we sat down and put our list of our vision together, we had a note there that said, be Dr. Harris, which was be kind and care caring and let your team know, like you can be a good, you can be a caring boss um, without, you know, getting run over. Uh, and so that was, that's one thing, of course, my, and of course my dad and our grocery store and, and um, 
the lessons that he learned and he was a public, like he was a public servant, ran for city council and I'm doing that too now, like involved in politics. And stuff. Yeah. So, you know, those, those are the things um, that, that probably have shaped me a lot. There's been so many people along the way and uh, from, from Miss Pondillo, my, the teacher that I just told her one day, I walked up to her and I said, you're going to be my mentor in, in, in the, at the school. And she helped me for, with so many things and, and helped me get through the days of teaching that were really hard, especially at the beginning of my career. And I just want to be that for other people when I can. Folks, you're hearing another great message from Mike Shirley here about, about success in veterinary medicine that I think is critical. Uh, one of the things that we're not taught in, I guess, society is to be aggressive, if not assertive, about our career needs. You know, and you can do that without being rude, but I share Mike's career path and that no position or everything I've ever done has been like just there for me. I've gone to somebody and said, let's do this. Let's make this happen. I want to see this happen. I want to do, you have to have a vision for your life. You have to have an idea of what you want to become and who you want to be affiliated with and how you want to make an impact in the world and share that with people. And if it's a compelling vision, then people will join you and go with it. But this idea that you're going to sit around and somebody's going to come up to you and go, poof, your life is going to be magical. I, I think a lot of people that aren't entrepreneurs look at entrepreneurs and think, what do they got that's so special? And it's really the risk. It's the, it's the willingness to say, not only do I need help, but I know what I want to do and you're going to help me get there. Yeah. And I think something humans respond to that. Like when we tell another human, I am inspired and will you help me? It, it, feeds a part of a person's soul that they probably didn't know they need that. Yeah, I think every person needs somebody that like that they're following. Um, so somebody that's like, where, where do you want to be? You need to find somebody like that. Yeah. Mentor. You also need somebody that you're mentoring because you, you never learn. And I, I definitely learned this teaching. You're never as prepared as like when you're teaching. So like, so, so when you're helping other people, um, it forces you to do some research so that because you don't want to be embarrassed, right? When you help the other people. And then you also just need somebody that's like right at the same level that you are. And so we have somebody that we're looking towards for guidance, somebody that we're guiding. And then we need somebody that's just like our accountability partner. And and I'm very blessed to have to have those all, all of those people in my life. And the cool thing about today with society, there's you don't even have to have you don't even have to have a personal relationship with some of the people that maybe you're following because all the gurus are sharing their, their knowledge for free online and stuff like that. So you can, you can just watch people and, and, and it's never, the world's never been as, as accessible as it is now. So just dropping a letter, which, which I think is so odd now that people actually will open them and read them. But, um, you know, an email, a message on any of the social media platforms and just let it like, Hey, I, even if you just start by saying, thank you for sharing that, it's really helping me. So please keep it up. And if you ever want to talk, I would love to talk to you sometime. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's great. All right, listeners. Well, we've come to close to the end of our show because we try and keep it to, you know, 30 to 45 minutes and we're at the 40 minute mark. But as usual, um, we want to end with some rapid fire questions. So, uh, Mike, these are just some questions about life and whatever comes to your mind first. Um, okay. Well, hopefully it's the truth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What was the name of your first pet? Poochie. Poochie. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to ask you the whole game that we play with that. <laughs> okay. um, what's your favorite kind of music? Uh, Christian contemporary music. 
Ah, okay. Uh, what is your number one guilty pleasure? Oh man, Diet Mountain Dew. Diet Mountain Dew. So a little, a little kick without the calories. <laughs> That's right. right. Uh, what's your go-to airport and trip snack? <laughs> oh man. Uh, ooh, I I would just mm, I don't. Uh, so, so it's nuts. I don't know. <laughs> Not something you thought oh, wait, of very Star, much. Huh? Starburst. Starburst. There you go. Starburst. Starburst. Yep. Starburst. Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, what's your go-to karaoke song? Love potion number nine. Oh my god. <laughs> Love potion number nine. Nah, that's right. Yeah. Um, my mom used to make us sing that in the song. And uh, she would make us sing that song in the car. And and when she got remarried. Uh, my my father passed away and she got remarried and and she asked me to sing that at her wedding. So I totally I brought all my siblings up. We all sang it together. It's definitely I my favorite. Love potion number ten. Yeah, <laughs> that's, right, that's, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. That's great. Who's the Who's the artist that did that? I can't remember. I have no idea. Last question: uh, If you could go back in time and give yourself some advice, what would it be, Mike? We uh, would say turn off civilization quit and go to class did i fail i definitely failed english in college because i was playing sid Meier's civilization turn off that computer and just go it's just one last thing to turn in what are you waiting on oh, so bad so bad don't procrastinate oh my gosh <laughs> well Congratulations on your success. And uh, thanks for, oh, I should mention too. And actually I'll have Mike mention it in closing. Uh, you have a little side, side, not hustle, but side interest that you've started in veterinary medicine. And it has to do with books like traction, but yep. do you want to put a little plug in for what you're doing there and how people can get involved? So yeah. if the, in 2020, we started the veterinary leadership book club, it's a Facebook group and it now has almost 3000 members in it. And we're currently reading radical candor by Kim Scott, which is an amazing book. And mm -hmm. um, so it's just a bunch of veterinary professionals that get together and read books and then apply the lessons in those books to veterinary leadership. And it's for all levels of the veterinary practice. It's on Facebook, the Veterinary Leadership Book Club. And you can also, you can find me and get all my contact information. Find me on LinkedIn, Michael Shirley. And um, yeah, I would love to have people reach out if I can be of any assistance. Great. Well, you heard it, callers. If you have any idea, call listeners. Uh, if you have any um, uh, thoughts, you want to pick Mike's brain about how they do things uh, at their hospital in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which I believe is a suburb of Nashville, right? That's Are right. You... We're about 30 yeah. miles south of Nashville. That's right. Beautiful city. I was just there for um, uh, Zoetis. That's deal. right. We were there. Yeah. yeah. We so... stayed... I stayed at the, yeah, yeah. I stayed at that uh, Dolly, Dolly Park, Park the graduate, right? Yeah, that's it. It yeah. was such right. a good, such a cool, but see, Peyton Manning was having some big event. We didn't go, we didn't get to go to the rooftop and see the Dolly Parton statue. We'll have to I go know, back. but I drove around Brentwood, Tennessee. Oh, and like, yeah. There's some beautiful neighborhoods oh, there. Yeah. Pretty, so, yeah. It's a great place to visit. And anybody that comes to Middle Tennessee, you want to see what we're doing at Family Pet Health, hit us up. We'll give you a tour of our new hospital opening in July. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. And if you're looking for a job, you can be number 16 on the job candidate list. That is right. Come on. But you can, don't forget, <laughs> you go ahead and read the energy bus now. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> 
Thank you, everybody. And uh, by the way, if you know somebody that in your life is a success story in veterinary medicine, and I really mean this, it could be a kennel worker, it could be the person who cleans your hospital, uh, it, it can be the best client that comes through the door who's an animal advocate, uh, a success story in your neighborhood. Uh, those are the kind of stories that we're looking for. And so I don't think we're going to have any shortage uh, of uh, candidates, but um, always interested to hear what you think of when we say who's a success in your life what's going on in their vet med mind <laughs>